really good to be here. I've always, been, you know, I've been thinking about it, and you and have two of coming on and, and joining you for one of these. It's it's great to be here. Well, it's awesome, and you know what? It's fitting because I started this rivalries, you know, branch. I think back in August, and I have yet to cover the most historic and best and classic rivalry in the history of professional wrestling. In my opinion, I believe in your opinion in Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I couldn't properly do it on my own because I kind of grew up as that rivalry was kind of fading out. You know, I really got into wrestling in late 1999, in early 2000, and that was right in the beginning of Steve Austin being on the shelf. So I thought, who better to bring on but you? Because you really lived right through that rivalry, did you not? Huh. It was, I lived for Monday nights. I absolutely lived for it. You talk about believing in a storyline. You talk about a time when kayfabe was still protected, a time when you believed in what was happening. There were some, you know, every Monday night you believe that, yeah, you know, it's a, it's still the show, but man, there's got to be some real elements here. You talk about emotional investment. That was the absolute best rivalry that I've ever seen in terms of intensity, in terms of star power, in terms of crowd reaction. There's nothing else that even comes close. And was this just around the time when Vince McMahon had that famous like one-on-one -on -one talk with the audience where he came in and he said that we're going to, it's no longer just going to be bad guy versus good guys. <laughs> Would you, what year was that around? Was that 97, 98? Yes, that was 97, I believe, when he said, and, and this was in a pre taped package that he had uh, when they ushered in the attitude or officially he came on and said that the uh, the old adage of bad guy versus good guy is passe and we're going to be you know going in a different creative direction pushing the envelope uh, basically saying that the whole honky tonk type of you know 80s good guy traditional bad guy is not uh, that that's that's now gone and we are pushing the envelope into a more edgy creative solution and yeah th that is it, it's one of the most famous uh, packages Vince McMahon's ever put together and it was the official start of the Attitude Era yeah so you started watching right around the fall of 97 the yep. Hell in a Cell match between Taker and HBK correct that is correct and that was right around the time when Stone Cold Steve Austin was finishing his run in the mid-card as the Intercontinental Champion. He had a short-lived rivalry with The Rock over that title. Actually relinquished it to The Rock in December, I believe, mm -hmm. because he came out on Raw and said that, you know, my eyes are now set on bigger and better things. So in the lead-up to, you know, 1998, WrestleMania 14, what happened with Stone Cold Steve Austin from him to get from that Intercontinental Championship picture into headlining WrestleMania and kind of taking the torch from HBK at WrestleMania 14? Well, as you said, he had the Intercontinental Championship. He relinquished it to The Rock, um, and he actually then subsequently gave The Rock a stunner after he gave the Intercontinental Championship to The Rock. It was a really funny segment. I mean, I remember that very well, thinking, like, what is he doing giving up the belt uh, from that time? he moved into the Royal Rumble and he was a heavy favorite to win the Royal Rumble. Really the only candidate that could have won the Royal Rumble at that time. Um, Mike Tyson was involved at that time as well. And that really, as I recall, listening to Eric Bischoff, even on a recent podcast, he did that him WWE, when he got more that WWE was bringing in Mike Tyson, 
they actually got worried in the WCW office. I mean, I remember him telling the um, he, in some of the executives, Ted Turner, like, oh, my God, like, we're in trouble. I mean, he almost verbatim saying those words to Ted Turner when they brought in Tyson, because at that time, I mean, in our late 90s, Tyson was the god of boxing in a lot of uh, spaces. He still kind of is. I mean, Muhammad Ali and, and others and Floyd Mayweather. But uh, when they brought in Tyson, that, that really changed the tide. Um, that famous incident between Austin and Tyson in the ring when they went, you know, and, and he shoved uh, Tyson and everyone went crazy, made news everywhere, not just on wrestling websites and wrestling outlets, but it made news even on your like your local stations. I remember it actually playing out when they did the sports segment of your newscast of Tyson being involved in the wrestling ring. And uh, that really helped Austin. Obviously, the crossover audience at that time uh, was huge from boxing to pro, uh, pro wrestling. No bigger name to bring in. And so, yeah, he wins the Rumble and uh, gets involved with Tyson. And they make it to WrestleMania 14 in Boston, albeit Shawn Michaels in very rough shape mentally and physically. Uh, and the rest is history. But during this time, Austin's, you know, meteorotic ascent to the top of WWE, Vince McMahon is still just on screen, the play-by-play guy alongside Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Like, everyone knew that he was the owner, Mm -hmm. but from an on-screen perspective, he was nothing more than a commentator. So how did it get to Vince McMahon becoming the -the over-the-top Mr. McMahon character Mm -hmm from being just the commentator that we all knew him as. Well, if we all recall, I think it was SummerSlam 96 when uh, we had Austin infamously being pile-driven by Owen Hart and the, the the whole neck injury that happened with Austin. Austin was out for quite some time, uh, nearly paralyzed him. And from that point, we all were wondering, when is Stone Cold coming back? Is he coming back? And so several months went by, and they finally brought Austin back on TV And the story was that Vince McMahon, who had started to transition from, as you said, the commentator's desk into the on-air Mr. McMahon character, because, you know, everyone did know that Vince McMahon owned the company, but it was never a character. He was just in the booth making the calls and doing color. So he comes in the ring and he's interviewing Stone Cold and he's talking to Austin and I'm referencing the Madison Square Garden first stunner that ever happened when he was concerned about stone cold coming back and then he didn't think it was a good idea for austin to come back and austin then ends up saying you know i'm you know, I'm glad you're concerned about my well-being and in turn i i hope that you care that you know i care about your well-being something to that effect gives him a stunner and if you remember austin was also throughout the year not just in that madison square garden moment but Throughout the year, he was giving stunners to Commissioner Slaughter, stunners to the referee, stunners to Jared the King Lawler and Jim Ross. So really, next in line was Vince McMahon. And that was the stunner heard throughout the world. That was, I remember even going, oh my God, sitting at home like, oh my God, he just stunned the owner. And Vince McMahon sold it like, you know, a dead fish flopping on a, on a, on a deck. I mean, he was... He was flopping around in the way that he sells stunners is never the same twice, same way twice. So... That was the moment when Vince McMahon transitioned from from the commentating booth to Vince McMahon, the owner, and Austin stunning the owner of the company. In that moment in Madison Square Garden is where it all began. So over the course of 1998, 
Stone Cold Steve Austin just overtakes WWE or WWF at that time for his own. Obviously, Shawn Michaels goes away for quite some time as an in-ring performer. What happened over the course of 1998 that really boiled this rivalry and got to that famous screenshot of Austin being restrained in the on the bottom turnbuckle and Vince McMahon, you know, shirtless, flexing in his face and them, them both nose-to-nose screaming at each other? Well, if you, you know, and if the listeners remember, and, and they were living through the Attitude Era, what I believe happened is we had Austin win the championship at WrestleMania 14. He captures the championship the next night, actually right here in Albany, New York. It was the very next Monday Night Raw where Vince said that basically we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way, Mr. Austin. And what does Stone Cold do? He chooses the hard way, stuns Vince McMahon again, and now we're off to the races. That was Vince McMahon's really last gasp and last effort to try to try to corporatize uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, of which we all knew he wasn't going to do. So that, to me, that was the final straw that really set into motion the Vince and Austin rivalry. And the, the moment you're talking about was, I be, it was during a gauntlet match that Vince put Austin in, who, where he had to go through the entire corporation. And I believe there were like four, five, six members of the corporation. And he finally gets to all of them, through all of them, and Vince is the only one left. And Big Boss Man, I think, used a nightstick to uh, take out Austin, put him in the bottom turnbuckle. And we had Vince McMahon squeezing the face of Stone Cold Steve Austin in the bottom rope, telling him, you're, you know, you're never going to be champion again or uh, whatever he was screaming at him. Uh, I believe that might have even been the build-up to WrestleMania 15 against The Rock that took place in uh, Philadelphia, I think it was. So yep, it that, was. That, was the, that was the build to, uh, to, to The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin because The Rock um, at that time actually was champion. So we're fast-forwarding, obviously, a lot from March of uh, just after WrestleMania 14 through the build that that moment you're talking about was just before WrestleMania 15. Well, that's actually a pretty good segue because where I was going to go with the next is at the King of the Ring 1998, or no, sorry, it was Survivor Series 1998 when everyone thought that The Rock was breaking away from the Nation of Domination and he was going to go on a babyface run. He actually turns heel in almost like the Montreal Screwjob 2.0 and they screw Mick Foley and The Rock becomes, you know, the heel champion for the corporation. And, you know, we always talk about the trilogy of The Rock and Austin headlining three WrestleManias. But I've always kind of thought that that first WrestleMania, WrestleMania 15, the rivalry was Austin versus McMahon and The Rock just, you know, fighting in place of McMahon. Would that be accurate in your opinion? It's crazy to say, as great as we remember The Rock and Austin, which in, in, in its own right, if you're talking about two real professional wrestlers then that is probably the greatest rivalry of all time. Of course, very subjective, but but the greatest rivalry of really wrestler versus, I mean, Vince is really not a wrestler. Uh, that, I would say, again, Vince and Austin are certainly the, the most and highest in my mind. But yes, you could say that really The Rock was kind of a a body in place of Vince McMahon that you can't put Austin versus McMahon as a WrestleMania main event. It, it's just... It's not a. It's not worthy of a main event from a wrestling quality perspective. As much as hot as that rivalry is, you know, you wouldn't have gotten the awesome matches that these two put on. And it's crazy to say, uh, say that though, because The Rock and Austin, they were 
I mean, amazing. And five-star matches almost every time they got together for the three WrestleManias of, uh, was it 15, 17, and 19. So, yeah, it's weird to say that, but he kind of was. He was that figurehead. He was what Vince McMahon embodied of being that corporate champion that Austin was completely opposed to and his character was against the entire time. So, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Crazy to say because The Rock in his own right is a mega performer and, and probably one of the greatest of all time. But, yeah, you're right. Well, it's because if you look at the builds on route to WrestleMania 50, and let's say from the new year out, so January 1st, 1999 out, The Rock was really in a bloody and brutal rivalry with Mankind. And they traded the belt, like, what, four or five times? And then they had the infamous I Quit match at the Rumble. And then you had Stone Cold Steve Austin... You know, he he. I think he entered that Rumble number one and Vince McMahon number two. He got ambushed in the bathroom as he chased McMahon out onto the concourse of the arena, beat out by beat up and ambushed in the in the bathroom, like I just said by the by the corporation. And then Mr. McMahon goes on commentary. Austin comes back in the Rumble and McMahon actually wins the Rumble, mm-hmm. and it leads to their steel cage match at was it Halloween? Val- uh, Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah, exactly. Which was the debut of the big show in the end. So you had the rock and mankind fighting over, you know, the richest prize in the business, the WWF championship. But then you have this rivalry of Austin versus McMahon almost overshadowing it. Did Austin versus McMahon overtake the spotlight for the WWF championship while all this was going on? I think he did. People forget just how hot Austin was because it was I mean, it was freaking 20 years ago i mean it was a long long time ago that austin was on top but this was no one had ever seen somebody this hot i don't think to this day even in the the entire professional wrestling industry's history anyone has burned as hot as austin people have certainly burned longer but nobody nobody even the rock i don't think burned as hot as stone cold steve austin did at his peak so yeah i think that vince mcmahon versus stone cold steve austin Still, as great as Mick Foley and, and The Rock were, and we're talking about all-stars, Hall of Famers now, as great as they were and as much importance as the WWF Championship had, and my God, did it feel important. It's the, That rivalry of Austin McMahon still overshadowed the WWF Championship, in my estimation. I mean, it was I think it was a close second, but as Austin McMahon was 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 just an absolute godsend. It was it was the perfect rivalry. It, it couldn't have gotten hotter. So yeah, that steel cage match with Austin and Vince McMahon, where Vince McMahon actually broke his tailbone taking the bump off the top of the cage, that was I think a it was as good of a match as it could have been. The Big Show debuting and throwing Austin into that uh, very, very um, old steel cage. It wasn't the steel cage that you see today. It was that hard, thick steel cage. And it breaking to Austin's luck and, and ending up, uh, you know, maintaining his WrestleMania spot, which was what the, what was on the line that night was if he lost, he was out of WrestleMania. And Vince McMahon thought he had an ace in the hole, but uh, the, the wrestling gods obviously looked in favor of Austin. The cage broke. He gets out. And then, uh, you know, we're we're still having Austin Rock at WrestleMania as if there were ever any, any other alternative at that time. So following WrestleMania 15, obviously Austin walks out with the WWF Championship. They kind of go down a different path because this was right around the time when The Undertaker was embarking on his heel run in the main event with the Ministry of Darkness. And you covered that recently when you did your wrestling nostalgia for, it was four weeks you mm-hmm. dedicated yep. to The Undertaker. November, yep. And 
did they kind of align for a short amount of times where Vince McMahon kind of had like a fake baby face turn and kind of turned into like the corporation slash the rock and Steve Austin versus the undertaker. And how was that dynamic after almost a full calendar year of McMahon versus Austin kind of dominating the WWF landscape? Well, that's just it, right? Like as, as great and as hot as these two are, you can only have so many matches before the matches quality start to really take a toll on the rivalry itself because Vince is he's he's just not coordinated he's like a cow on ice as JR always says he, i mean <laughs> he really is i mean so um and yes so having that kind of change number one not just having rock versus austin which is in and of itself again amazing rivalry that will never be topped in my estimation but Yes, the Ministry of Darkness was running rampant at that time. We did have a faux babyface turn by Vince McMahon that I actually bought into because they did a good job of taking the most hated character in the history of professional wrestling and turning it into a sympathetic father figure because we had The Undertaker abducting Stephanie McMahon, torturing his family. Vince was, for the first time, showing kind of showing emotion, showing concern. Uh, because his daughter was abducted by by uh, the Undertaker, and at the same time, you're hearing about this higher power that the Undertaker is is uh, only serving the higher power, and we're like, who the hell is it? And I remember it was a Sunday night heat where we had the Undertaker or the, the higher power actually show up in the robe where it, it had a the, the hood of his robe covered his face, and only Austin saw the face of the higher power. Austin lost his mind the very next Sunday night heat. I remember he came out. And he stunned everyone. That was the most stunners I've ever seen. And we've seen a, a stunner barrage before. But he came out. He attacked the announcers. He attacked the, the referees. Everyone that was in the ring, even every match on that Sunday Night Heat, Austin would come out and stun everyone. And it was an, it was hilarious to watch, number one. Uh, but it, once he realized who it was, that's when Austin told Linda and Stephanie McMahon what had, what had been going on. He was manipulating his own family. Austin then comes out after Vince McMahon is revealed to be the higher power and uh, ends up being the CEO as Linda McMahon steps down as the CEO of the company, gives his her share and Stephanie's share to uh, Stone Cold, so he owns half the company, and obviously Shane and Vince own the other half, and we remember, we remember the CEO Stone Cold Steve Austin very well. And this all led to a handicap two-on-one ladder match at King of the Ring, which yep. is one of the most comedic matches I've ever watched yes. in my life. Yes. And uh, it was, I remember that that uh, that visual of Vince putting Shane on his shoulders, like almost for an electric chair, and they're like trying to grab it, and like it was it was just that was well placed comedy for me. Like WWE tries time and time again in modern day in the modern day product that is, and you just can't match the organic comedy that you had because I feel like do you find that Shane McMahon was a very underrated character that was intertwined in the McMahon Austin rivalry? Yes. And, and I think that just the, the thing is obviously Shane is much better in the ring than Vince McMahon is. And, and you no, know, we all, we all kind of crap on Shane for his just longstanding rivalry with whatever, whoever it was Kevin Owens or who, you know, even the undertaker at WrestleMania 32 during the hell in a cell match there. And, you know, we all crap on his punches and everything. But he's, you know, world's better than Vince McMahon is in terms of in the ring. Vince McMahon was just such a strong, perfect, evil boss character that I think it overshadowed Shane, even though he's better in the ring. But Shane in his own right versus Austin was, I, I mean, I love those two interacting too, because Shane could sell the stunner. 
almost as good as the rock could i mean shane had springs in his legs it felt like when he sold the stunner <laughs> it was just i i loved that dynamic yes and i remember that ladder match very well uh because of the fact that they never explained ever to this day we still don't know who pulled the briefcase up on stone cold c boston because he had yep. that match won and we still and i'm still t- i'm thinking about it every once in a while I'm like they never they never closed that story who pulled the briefcase up right so what came of it? Because this is when my memory starts to get a bit foggy. Like I, w- I had just turned five around this time. So I was very, very young into this. And I've watched a lot of these matches on just on um, on replay. You know, I have the McMahon DVD that has a lot of these matches and the network and whatnot. But as far as the like, you know, week by week storyline, I don't remember how it all kind of, you know, gelled together. But this was right around the time when Austin in real life went away for about a year in the Mm -hmm. fall of 1999, which kind of closed the book on at least the inaugural rivalry of McMahon-Austin. So what led to him leaving and what was the buildup right before he did actually have to go away for injury? Well, I mean, so, yes, the legit injury of the neck injury, which started all and was um, the catalyst, was the SummerSlam match with Owen Hart. The you know the, the botched pile driver that really was the catalyst for the entire problem that Austin and and really that's what cut Austin's career short. You know as a, as a whole, if that injury never happened, Austin probably would have gotten another five six years out of his run. But maybe his career wouldn't have been as hot because the storyline with Vince made it maybe didn't happen because we wouldn't have got that interview with Austin. I mean, it's all a butterfly effect. So who knows what would have happened? But that buildup, it was, at, as you said, Survivor Series. It was a, um, I believe, was it a tournament? I, I'm actually trying to think of the card at that night. But um, the whoever took out Austin, we ended up seeing, knowing it was Rikishi and Triple H was the accomplice ultimately. Um, they had the backstage segment with Austin in the back being taken out and him being taken out from the, the person driving the car, which again, we learned to be Rikishi. Austin was taken out of the WWF title picture. Again, I think it was a title tournament or it, something going on that night. It, it was a triple threat match oh, okay. between the rock That's Triple right. H and Austin. And big show was the replacement. I believe. Exactly. Yes. He won. Got it. Yes. And th- so I, that yes, thank you. So, um, Big Show winning, I think, was Vince McMahon's way of trying to, you know, kind of, I guess, bl- soften the blow, so to speak, of Austin leaving, of having a babyface dethrone a heel champion. And Big Show, I remember, got a decent reaction, but Austin was really the main focus here, losing out on the next, I think, nine months, ten months, however long he was gone. I think he came back in September of 2000. So... You know, the year of 2000, I always say it was the year of The Rock, because in the absence of Steve Austin, The Rock really took the reins and ran with it as best as anyone could in place of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like you said, Austin is the undisputed one, but the guy right under him is The Rock, probably. Yes. And then, you know, he had the rivalry with the McMahon-Helmsley regime. But when Stone Cold Steve Austin came back, you know, he he never really crossed paths with McMahon in the same way again because he had the rivalry with uh, Triple H that spilled all the way to No Way Out 2001 in the Three Stages of Hell match. Then he had the iconic match with The Rock that headlined WrestleMania 17 when arguably the most hyped and best WrestleMania main event of all time and then aligns himself with, with Mr. McMahon in the infamous heel turn. 
Why do you think they didn't just pick right up where they left off with the whole McMahon-Austin thing because of how much of a moneymaker it was and how you could make the argument that it single-handedly won the Monday Night War and put WCW out of business and why they decided to go down this bizarre road of McMahon and Austin, you know, side by side? Well, the rivalry... I guess officially did end at fully loaded 1999 and it was between undertaker and, uh, and Austin in a first blood match. And in that match, the stipulation was if Austin wins, Vince McMahon is gone from WWF, which we all know WWF and WWE never, ever. We've seen the storyline since then have that same stipulation. They never, ever adhere to it more than like a few weeks. I mean, remember what happened with the <laughs> team Cena versus the authority, the authority's gone. Oh, yeah. They were gone for like three, four weeks and then they're back. Like <laughs> WWF just never at that time. And now still do not adhere to their own stipulations and matches. Cause you know that, yeah, well they're fired, but not really fired. Right. So uh, Vince lost, um, the other side of it was if Austin lost, he would have never gotten a shot at the WWF championship ever again. So Austin wins. He uh, hit the Undertaker with a TV camera, makes Undertaker bleed, stuns the Undertaker, stuns Vince McMahon, stuns him again. And then uh, the next night on Raw sings the na-na-na-na. You know, that's where that whole thing started. Hey, 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 goodbye. That song. Uh, I remember that very well. So that was technically the end of that rivalry. But you're right. When he came back in 2000, uh, he, he it, everything felt different because there was no Austin McMahon, uh, even though that had kind of officially ended in that storyline. Um, Vince McMahon was brought back because in the stipulation in, in, in the contract, apparently Austin was the only one who could bring Vince McMahon back. And that's what led to Vince McMahon coming back because of Austin. And it, the whole thing's convoluted, but uh, it didn't feel di it felt different. He had the disturbed remix of his music during that time. Uh, I still love seeing him back. The fans love seeing him back. But yeah, it did. It felt and looked different than when he first you know, was his first run, even though it was only nine months or whatever it was later. And yes, we go on to WrestleMania 17, and I, I don't know how much depth you want to go into all those other WrestleMania main events, but uh, yeah. Well, because following WrestleMania 17, he has the heel turn with McMahon and yep. then forms the two-man power trip. Then he has, like, another heel turn at Invasion in July, aligns himself with the Alliance. When that whole angle ends, he gets to he basically turns babyface the very next night where McMahon and Kurt Angle and Austin, they all kind of do like a double turn with one another where McMahon goes back to heel with Kurt Angle. Austin goes back to babyface. And then this is when Steve Austin, for me, it all kind of started to get wonky because then he gets a book to go against Scott Hall huh. in a match at WrestleMania 18. And if you look at that card, other than The Rock versus Hulk Hogan, it's a pretty garbage card that made no sense. <laughs> you you know, you had a main event of Triple H versus Chris Jericho, who I think 9 out of 10 people wouldn't even remember. You had The Undertaker versus Ric Flair in a street fight, which was kind of a weird build. I guess it worked. Two iconic characters, but still didn't make a whole lot of sense. You had Kurt Angle, who was... Red Hot at that time, a breakout performance in 2001, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kane, and obviously Austin versus Scott Hall, and obviously just a very bad card other than the iconic Rock versus Hogan match, which ultimately leads to the walkout in 2000, June 2002 of Steve Austin. So at this point for you, were you kind of like, well, 
Vince McMahon, Steve Austin, we never got to see that rebirth again. And now it seems like in real life, there's some Vince McMahon and Steve Austin turmoil. There was. I mean, in real life, we, we came to learn what the actual story was. And I actually, you know, talking about the actual walkout itself, I really do side with Austin on this from this perspective. The story was, for those that may or may not know, that Austin was to be in a King of the Ring qualifying match in Atlanta, Georgia that night for Monday Night Raw, where he was supposed to lose to Brock Lesnar. Now, let me to me, that's just ridiculous, because number one, there was no build to that. Brock Lesnar was an up-and-coming star, no doubt about it. I have no problem with Austin losing to Brock. The problem was that Austin had, and that I have, and I 100% agree with him, is there's no build to that. Why would you give that match away, number one, free, unadvertised, unpromoted, and in a qualifying tournament on Raw? Like, it doesn't make any sense that you have a massive up-and-coming star. You have the legacy existing star there who drew more money than anybody in the history of pro wrestling. Why the hell would you put this on free TV, unadvertised, on a Monday Night Raw? makes no sense, and I totally understand where Austin is coming from. I mean, the the other side is, well, he shouldn't have walked out. Totally agree on that, too. But, uh, yeah, that that whole thing, I felt kind of torn about it. it. It's back in 2002 when we didn't have the, the Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have those instant social media information sharing platforms. So you kind of had to go to your, your legacy websites, wrestling websites. We all know what they are. And you had to go there to get your news or WWE actually had a, had a program called Bite This, where we eventually learned from who was who was doing that. Was it uh, Gene Me- uh, Mean Gene Okerlund, who was the host of Bite This at the time, was uh, he eventually talked about how Austin could make his return months down the line. But Austin actually called in when Vince McMahon was a host on Bite This, and Austin complained about the creative process. It sucks. He literally said on his own on the own program, unscripted, that the creative process sucks. And Vince McMahon on air, unscripted, in not in character, being literally just Vince McMahon, said um, after Austin hung up that that is he said this. He said, "Well, that's Stone Cold Steve Austin. He goes one of the most uh, intense, one of the most demanding performers that I've ever had to deal with." And you know, Austin is is. Uh, angry because we're producing gold albums as opposed to platinum ones and austin and vince had on air not scripted tension with one another that i mean this is prior to austin walking out uh the whole story is is really fascinating but it was a strange uh it was strange because yes their on-air characters were great in in rivalries but you knew behind the scenes now there's some real tension which kind of made it weird yeah, and it almost kind of gave more credibility to the on-screen rivalry yes. because there was a real-life like beef between the two of them, and it kind of made the fans – like it blurred the lines for the fans, kind of like that rivalry I talked about between Matt Hardy and Edge. Like where did the real stop and the and the program <laughs> start, you know? Yeah, that's and what that was great. Yeah, yeah and that, that was the awesome thing at that time because, like I said, that whole Matt Hardy thing – and the the edge storyline and then you could even add in this one watching it as a teenager you could legitimately be like man what's real what's not this that obviously you fast forward 18 years all water under the bridge steve austin has his own podcast produced by the wwe by the wwe network now he comes back for a short-lived three-month run has his retirement match against the rock at wrestlemania 19 and then, you know, he he sticks around for about a year as the Raw GM slash the Sheriff. And then they kind of 
I found that they kind of like reignited the rivalry between Austin and McMahon, but through Eric Bischoff, which was hilarious. I think that was a very underrated dynamic that those two had Bischoff and Austin. Mm. But like we've seen like, you know, Austin come out over the years. Like it seems like every two years he'll come face to face with the McMahons. And like I remember there was the homecoming. I think it was in this. Yeah, oh five there, yep. and he stunned all the McMahons. He stunned Linda McMahon, the worst stunner of all oh, so time. So bad, slow so bad, yeah. Or then I, I when they did a Raw twenty five, and he came out, and like Vince was just like, you know, I'm a senior citizen now, and I, I feel like that was the last promo that Vince cut where he didn't look a hundred years old. Um, when he was just like, uh, don't encourage him, and then he sells sh- he he sells Shane to Steve Austin. And Shade takes the sunner. But I guess to kind of like look back on it all, because Steve Austin wasn't the only guy over the years to have a feud with Vince McMahon. You know, Shane McMahon himself had a feud with Vince McMahon, with, and they had a very good match at um, WrestleMania 17. The Rock had a head-on-head collision with Vince McMahon, although it was kind of like the McMahon-Helmsley regime against The Rock. But Vince McMahon single-handedly screwed The Rock at WrestleMania 16, and 17 for that matter. Triple H, before he uh, lined himself with Vince, had a street fight or an no-holds-barred match with Vince at Armageddon 1999 when Stephanie McMahon turned heel. HBK had a rivalry with Vince, John Cena to an extent. So... Although many we've seen many different variations of top superstars going against the Vince McMahon or the Mr. McMahon character, what was it about the rivalry with Steve Austin that separated it from the pack, not only with just the rivalries that Vince McMahon had, but in all the rivalries in the history of professional wrestling? Well, uh, that's a good question. I, I think... I think a lot of it has to do with the first time that Vince McMahon came out of his shell from being the color commentator to being the evil Mr. McMahon character. It, it was it was like, oh, my God. Right. Like there was that shock factor of you can't attack the boss. I mean, that was something that was never, ever done. No one spoke about Vince being the the owner of the company. We all knew he was, but he did interviews. He was on commentary. And you know what? Actually, Vince McMahon, I think, is an underrated commentator. He can be cheesy at times, but I think Vince McMahon was actually really good on commentary if you, if you listen back to his uh, work. But it was, number one, the first time, right? Like, anytime something first happens, it's extremely memorable. So that was the first rivalry Vince had. On top of the fact that Austin and Vince are complete polar opposites of one another on air. And Vince McMahon, in prior interviews and past interviews and really in the last few years when he ever gets asked about it so that he knew exactly how to play his character because he is like stone cold steve austin in real life they're very similar personalities off camera and he knew the kind of person that would completely agitate him if he had to work for somebody that was like his on-air character austin was the perfect foil to Vince McMahon because he represented the blue-collar, hard-working American, um, not in the Otis way that Vince McMahon portrays it now. <laughs> My God, I mean, I don't even want to get into that. But he he portrayed the everyday American, the hard-working, kind of just casual dress, uh, you know, beer-drinking, blue-collar workers. Uh, he, he was believable as hell. I mean, you couldn't see through him playing a character. It felt genuinely like he is like that all the time. How often can you say that about anybody on the roster now, if anyone? You can't. 
Um, And Vince McMahon, super believable in his own right, because he literally was the boss. He wasn't playing a boss. He was actually the boss. There's so many real elements that go into this. They also played off each other very well. Sometimes there's an intangible that you can't identify what it what that is it's that it factor that everybody talks about these guys had it and even though vince could not perform very well in the ring it didn't matter and that's the other interesting thing is we all talk about oh five-star matches great matches i can't wait until these two match up it's gonna be a great match they never had a five-star match ever in today's definition of what a five-star match is and yet it is regarded as one of the best and most intense and most memorable and money-drawing rivalries of all time which goes to show you that match quality will never supersede depth of characters believability of characters and ultimately chemistry in the ring i mean so well i mean it certainly laid the groundwork for wwe what it is today because i think it's fair to say that without austin McMahon, there is no Austin, Rock, Rock, Triple H, Cena, Batista, any of that. Would you concur? Probably. Yeah, I think probably. I think that that's a fair assessment. Uh, I mean, it, it's all you know, kind of uh, speculation. I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, well, you, you know, I think of all the rivalries I've, I've done so far and the many more to come, there's none that I could ever hold a candle to. <laughs> but no, and actually, before we before we wrap things up, I actually want to ask you a question because you did not see this in real time. You did not watch this while I did in my, you know, I'm in my 30s, you're about 10 years younger than I am. So you didn't watch this in real time. You've seen it only on the WWE Network or somewhere, maybe on YouTube, wherever, watching it back, well, what, again, like, watching it back versus watching it in real time, and you're still able to tell me that this is still one of the greatest things you've ever seen in terms of intensity and everything else. So watching it back, not in real time, compared to today's product, how does that, how does that differ for you? Like, what do you think about the rivalry that you saw 17 years ago that happened versus today's product. I mean, even watching it in you know now, and you never saw it in real time. How how like how does that how does it match up to today? Well, look, man, it, it's very simple for me, and why I bought into it even you know if I watched it 10 years you know delayed, it was a relatable storyline. And when I watch WWE, I look for storylines that are relatable. And not always in the fact that, you know, I'm going to take my my elbow pad off and hit someone with a pupil's elbow. But the storyline has to be something realistic and relatable for the common man. And I think this was a storyline that a lot of blue collar guys who went to other construction site or an electrician firm or whatever you whatever you may say, there is a time in your life where you want to kick your boss in the backside and you want to crack a beer and not go to work a certain day or flip him the bird when he tells you you got to stay to five when you're supposed to clock out at quarter to four you know i've lived that i'm sure you have Mm -hmm. and i think that was you know it just that is what drew so many people in and that's just something that goes on today that's not something that i believe will ever go away i don't think there will ever be a time in modern civilization where, you know, a middle-aged man at one point or another doesn't feel like giving his boss the finger or drinking a beer or not going to work or, you know, 
pushing the envelope or, you know, fighting the power to use, I don't know, a popular narrative. That's why I think that it has just stood the test of time and that even 22 years from when it originally started, it is still regarded as the best bar none rivalry between performer, performer or performer and authority figure ever. And, you know, they tried to do it again, kind of reincarnated with Daniel Bryan and Triple H, which, I mean, they did to the best of their capabilities in a PG era. But, you know, they were obviously they they took advantage of the fact of not having, you know, uh, television restrictions. They weren't limited by, you know, the networks and, you know, maybe a more uh, sensitive and liberal time we live in. But, you know, I just think it was a perfect storm at the right time and. You just can't say enough about how great these guys were. Chemistry, like, in the ring even. Like you said, it's like their matches were so bad that it was good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's any other way or any other scenario with any other wrestlers that you could say that about. Because if it was any other type of program, you'd be like, oh, my God, like, this is unwatchable, like... They, they're not even wrestling. Like, it's just one guy chasing the other one around the ring. But with these guys, it worked. And it was just peanut butter and jelly. And, you know, it, it has stood the test of time. And anyone that I show this to, like, I showed it to my girlfriend, for God's sakes. You know, a 25-year-old girl <laughs> who never watched wrestling before she met me three years ago. And she found it entertaining. So I think that alone should tell you what, you know, everyone may think about this type of rivalry. Because it, it appeals to a wider audience. It's so relatable, and it's people were living vicariously through Stone Cold. I mean, there is not one person that I don't think can relate to what Austin was doing and the, trying to, you know, uh, go against the man, which had never, ever been done, ever. The, re- the originality, the, the believability of the Austin character um, was was through the roof. And, and to me, one of the most believable characters of all time, till through even through today. And when you look back even to today, uh, I was I was in the Barclays Center when they had the Raw 25 when Austin came back. And he ended up stunning Vince McMahon in the, well, not exactly the building, but in the general area of where it all started 25 years later. You know, you have Monday Night Raw. Um, well, that wasn't, he stunned him in 97, but we get the point. The, the point I'm trying to make is Austin comes back. He has not been an active competitor in the ring since 2003. That's 17 years that Austin has not had an actual match. And yet he still gets a bigger reaction than anyone has ever gotten since, including the current roster, John Cena, even, I think he supersedes the rock even when he comes back. So that tells you right there that the fans have not forgotten about Austin. They have they have not lost the connection with him. Um, that it, it it's also kind of sad and telling of today's performers. Not really fair to put him against Austin, but to have a guy that hasn't even been had a, had a match since 2003 in Seattle, Washington, to come back and get a louder reaction than anyone is, I think, also kind of telling of the current roster. Well, in terms of creative and Vince not being able to create new stars. And especially to that level. So, Well, before we close it out, just to compare it to today's product, like, look, I've said it numerous times with you and on my own show. I love Drew McIntyre. Yes. And I think that he is the best babyface champion, world champion that they have had since the heyday of John Cena or the short-lived run that Daniel Bryan had in 2014. But at the end of the day, the thing that separates between him and Stone Cold Steve Austin 
I couldn't see myself walking out in jeans and a de- in a in a t-shirt, giving my boss the finger and drinking a cold one every day of the week. You will never once catch me walking outside in a kilt and a sword. <laughs> it may sound like I'm joking, but it comes down to something as simple as that that they're still all even with one of the best characters and wrestlers they have going today, they they just can't help themselves with attaching him with something hokey yes and that's the difference of back then there was nothing hokey about stone cold steve austin and now the best character you maybe aside from roman reigns but the best baby face character they 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 have going right now and have had in probably the last five years or so they can't detach from some form of hokiness i was thinking the same thing with drew i don't think he needed that and people all oh, the sword's badass huh I'm like, but he didn't need it. Now it's, it's just becomes part. like, now he's just playing a character. Now he's just, it's just part of the entrance, part of the show. I don't want it to feel like it's part of the show. I want it to feel authentic. That's, I, I, I'm with you on that. I thought the same thing. They made his character Braveheart. Yes. Yeah. Th- yep. It's Braveheart. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, well, well, ask the Miz and Morrison. They did a Braveheart skit last Monday night, but uh, oh God. I'm not uh, going to open that can. No, of don't. Please, I shouldn't have. But uh, <laughs> all right. But look, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, I think it was an absolute must to have you on the show because I wanted to ca- cover this rivalry through and through, and there's no better guy to have you on. But uh, as always, no one better does it than you. But uh, why don't you give the audience, you know, the 411 on how to get in touch <laughs> with you and all of us? Yeah, well, I mean, you guys know we're everywhere. I mean, myself, Anthony, and the rest of the team are really everywhere that you can imagine in terms of podcasting with Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, uh, Google, Apple Podcasts. Um, everywhere, you know, CastBox and everything else. So, yeah, you guys can catch us. We do like seven, eight shows a week, especially this week, being the TLC pay-per-view. We have a preview and prediction show coming tomorrow night. We're doing a review show after the pay-per-view on Sunday night, so it's going to be a super long night for me. Uh, and then uh, the rest of the week is is uh, the normal schedule, NXT and everything else. And uh, we have Mimi doing the highs and lows of the week, which will be coming also either later tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, and we should have you back on the show. And we we can uh, we will pencil in maybe for next weekend uh, to come in and do the uh, the weekend review. It's been it's been too long. So yeah, at least since the summer since I came on for a weekend review. So yes. yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, I guess in a week and a half from today. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. But look, man, uh, great having you on. Great talking to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Take care. You too. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to WWEPodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to Patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.